you're watching HCC TV, where home is where the heartland is. for the perfect family home. We are the Rugamans. I'm Kim, I'm an independent boot influencer. Oh, and I'm John. I specialize in designing creative laboratories and century-rich environments for unlocking the potential of the next generation. He designs playrooms. So we're looking for a free-form space, our budget's $20 million, and I avoid conflict at all costs. My wife was away for the day, she was at work, working, and I had a plan to start a project that I'd been putting off for quite a while. Because we just moved into a new home, and we'd, we'd finished the upstairs, and it was pretty, you know? Guys, you understand what I'm talking about. Not saying I didn't have an input in this. I helped paint the walls. I changed the flooring in the place. It was pretty. We had white slipper chairs in the living room. We had a blonde wood floor throughout part of the house, marble entryway. It was our first home. It was beautiful. It was pretty. But the basement was empty. That was my playground. It was as if I was standing, if I, as if I was Donatello, standing before... Not the, not the Ninja Turtle, I'm talking about the artist, standing before an unchiseled piece of marble thinking, yes. You see, this basement was going to be the consummation of all things manly, right? All of the splendor, all of the vibrato, all of the grit of a man was going to be this basement. And so I got a case of spray paint. I mean like a case of spray paint. Because I decided I wasn't gonna like sheetrock the ceiling, I was gonna spray paint the ceiling because it would look all black, it was low anyway, and so I went to town that day. Put on a mask, I put fans in the windows, I opened the basement windows, and I went to town. I spray painted the ceiling in our basement for four hours straight, and it looked awesome. I was so proud of it. I wanted to like show my wife. I looked at my watch. I was thinking, oh no, it's almost time for my wife to be home. I'm a good husband. I should get cleaned up before she gets home because she's my wife and I want to be cute and cleaned up when she gets home. And so I decided to go upstairs and get ready because she was going to be home in, in just a matter of minutes. And I was making my way across the kitchen and I realized I kicked my shoes off when I got to the top of the stairs, but I realized I was leaving footprints in the kitchen. That's a bad thing, right? Except something was off. The footprints were not black footprints. And I'd taken my shoes off. They were white footprints or whitish footprints. I was cleaning the floor with my bare feet, my socked feet, while I was walking across the kitchen. The floor was black. The countertops were black. The white slipper chairs were black. 
the marble entryway was black. It's not funny. <laughs> I had this thought. I was like, she's going to be home any minute. I don't even want to tell you what the carpet looked like. She's going to be home any minute. And this is going to take, I'm not exaggerating, days to clean. So I did what any grown man full of grit and vibrato and splendor would do. There's this little niche behind our door in our bedroom, about the size of a grown man. And I hid there. I don't know what else to do. I just hid. A coward. And I heard her coming up the walk. I was like a minute or two. And I heard the door open, the front door. And then I heard the most depressing sound I've ever heard in my life. It was the sound of all of the life escaping from my wife. <gasps> and it was quiet for way too long. And she said, honey. And I said, all I could think of was, I know. <laughs> We're in this series called Interior Design. And, and like Craig said earlier, it's, it's really the idea that we would embrace the ways and the truth and the life of Jesus so that the interior of our lives would begin to change so that we could even then begin to affect the exterior relationships and the world around us. It's why Paul, in a book to the Romans, writes this. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors or the customs of this world, but let God transform you. I love that word, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It's this word metanoia. It's changing your mind. It changes how we think about the world. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's what I want. Who wants that? What's up, Heartland? How's everybody doing? I'm Steve. Glad, glad to be here. I'm really excited about a few things today. I'm excited about Patrick Mahomes dropping a few dimes on the field against the Bills. I'm predicting 10-point win. Who would take that? Any Bills fans out here? Good. I'm excited to, to, to get to talk. If you asked my wife, she would say, I love to hear myself talk, so I'm excited to do that. <laughs> Haven't got to talk much this year in quarantine. But really, honestly, I'm excited because I believe that God, I've been praying about this and thinking about this, I believe that God wants to unlock something in your heart today. Here's the deal. I don't know what it is. That's between you and God, but but I believe that his truth is going to confront us in a way that he wants to unlock something in your heart today. And that something, I believe, has to do with what I want to talk about. Why was a grown man hiding in a bedroom behind a closet door? Well, it was because I was embarrassed, yes, because I'd trashed the house. 
It was because I was afraid that I would disappoint my wife. It was because I was scared, literally, of her reaction. Although she's the nicest person in the world, I would be mad at me. But ultimately, it was because I knew something was unavoidable, and that was conflict. I hate it. I hate conflict. Yeah, it bugs me. I don't know about you. If you like conflict, I'm sorry. There's something wrong with you. Go away. Don't really go away yet. Wait till I'm done talking. Let's look at the definition of conflict so we're all on the same page with what I'm talking about. Conflict. To come into collision or disagreement, to be contradictory or at variance or in opposition. It's this clash. Like no better word than clash, right? It's a fight. It's a battle. It's a struggle. It's a prolonged struggle. It's strife. It's controversy. It's quarrel. It's discord of action, feeling, or effect, antagonism, opposition of interests or principles. It's a striking together. It's a collision. And I knew that I was in the camp of people who paint their house black, and my wife was in the camp of someone who didn't paint their house black. And those two worlds were going to collide, and it was inevitable, so I hid. I don't like conflict. We've been living in a world today, this last 12 months, that are wrought with conflict. Do you agree? Disagree? It's everywhere we go. You cannot avoid it. You turn on the news, you find out about conflict. You get on social media, and everyone wants you to know about conflict. Am I wrong? You get back on the news and you hear about how social media is dealing with conflict and they're creating conflict. We live in a conflict-driven world. In fact, I would say this, conflict has become the norm. I don't know if that's good or bad, it just is, right? To err is human, so I would say that conflict, to have conflict is human. We live in a broken, fallen world. But we're not special. I'm not special. Jesus faced conflict, right? I mean, think about the life of Jesus. He was born, he hadn't done anything wrong, and an insecure king calls a hit on him, calls out a hit on him to be killed. He grows up, his family, his his friends don't understand his relationship with God the Father and how that all works, and he runs away for a few days, and it kind of blows things up. And then as an older person, he has followers. His family thinks he's lost his mind. They think he's crazy. He goes and teaches at his home church. This scares me a little bit. And in the middle of teaching, they turn on him and try to execute him. Jesus goes from town to town. He's caught in the middle of geopolitical disagreements. And people are asking him to pick sides of conflict. The religious rulers of the day are out to get him constantly, and they're, they're, they're opposing everything he does. His friends, his best friends in the world, never fully understand what he's trying to do and be, and then they reject him and betray him. He's, he's falsely arrested, he's put through a sham trial, then he's beaten and abused, And then he's sentenced to public execution 
so that every can, everyone can watch. And ultimately, he's executed on a cross in front of friends and family in an entire city. Jesus knows con- conflict, right? Like, can we just put that out there? Jesus gets conflict? See, what, what bugs me about this conflict thing in our culture right now is not just that conflict has become the norm. It's that enemies have become the norm. Now, follow me on this. Enemies have become the norm. Let's look at the, the textbook definition of what an enemy is. A person who feels hatred for, fosters harmful designs against, or engages in antagonistic activities against another, an adversary or opponent, the armed foe, opposing military force. And I like these last two, because I think this is the camp that I live in sometimes. A hostile nation or state, or a citizen of such a state. So Jesus felt and experienced conflict. We feel and experience conflict. But conflict happens, but I believe enemies are made. I'm going to say that again. Conflict happens. Enemies are made. And guys, I've seen enemies being made this year in a way that I've never seen before. I've seen it disrupt friendships in neighborhoods because that guy put that sign in his yard and he still hasn't taken it down. I've seen conflict arise on Facebook where people have, maybe I've been a part of this, unfollowed other people, maybe. Or there's this great snooze function that you just keep hitting. You guys know what I'm talking about? We've created enemies. I've seen, literally seen this happen, where fathers and mothers are are estranged from their parents, where grandkids are estranged from their grandparents because of conflict this year. Folks, there is so much brokenness happening. The, the, The percentages of divorce this, in 2020, Spring of 2020 compared to spring of 2019 skyrocketed because people were making enemies of each other. And then God forbid, seriously, God forbid that it happened in the church, right? Now, I'm going to say big C church, meaning all of the believers, all of the church, and then even in a Western context, the church in America, it has been making enemies with itself. People in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, making enemies out of each other. Anybody else feel that? Now, that that doesn't happen at Heartland. That would never happen here at our church, right? Yes. Because we're human. The thing about an enemy is this. If you're my enemy, I don't have to care about your feelings. I don't have to act civil. I don't have to be nice. I don't have to do anything because you're stupid. And you're on the wrong side, and I'm on the right side. You're my enemy. You deserve nothing from me. Right? Here's the problem with that. 
Jesus. He goes and screws everything up for us. There's this moment where he's giving a sermon from a mountain, and I want to read you some of that sermon. He's talking to his followers. He's gathered together people who say, I believe in Jesus. I believe who you are, and I want to live my life the way you tell me to live my life, the way you live your life. And Jesus says these words. You've heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Real, real quick, I want to look at the Greek in this because I want to look at the word hate. It means to detest. It means to denounce or to love something less than. If it is your enemy, you can say you're not worth it. You don't, you're not worth anything. I hate that about you. I hate the things you choose to be. Is a nice way of saying I hate you, right? And then this, this other word, enemies, I think is important to look at too. And that's a person resolved to inflict harm. I love how the Greek could be translated either enemy or hostile. And I just think if you're hostile toward me, or if I deem you hostile toward me, you're my enemy. And Jesus flips the script. He says, love your enemies. So there you go. There's the solution, guys. All we have to do is love our enemies, right? Easy. Except it's not easy. One of the great thinkers and, and uh, minds of the 20th century says it this way. Man is not capable of loving his enemy on the basis of mere human affection. Human affection is not enough, right? We, it doesn't come from who we are, but withers on the basis of the love of God Almighty. And when I'm reading Mr. T and his tweets, you think I'm joking. Y'all need to subscribe to some Mr. T these days. I say amen to that, right? Preach, Mr. T. He really did write that. It's on his Twitter. <laughs> my human reaction will never be to love my enemies. But perhaps we've gotten to a place where we have created enemies out of people that we weren't supposed to. My wife and I have this phrase because we do have conflict sometimes. And we have to remind ourselves, we say this phrase to ourselves. And I'll say to her, and she'll say to me, you are not my enemy. We have an enemy who wants nothing more than destroy us. God has ordained us, my wife and I, to be a couple, to make a difference in this world. And we have an enemy who wants to destroy that. And you're not that enemy. Does that make sense? Folks, we have an enemy who wants nothing more than to destroy the bride of Christ, to bring division and hatred and hurt into the church. And we are not that enemy. But I feel like sometimes we treat people like that enemy. What if we began to take on 
the ways and the truth and the life of Jesus. I look at Jesus, and he says in this moment, with his disciples close at hand, right before he is executed, he's in the upper room, he's serving communion, and he says this verse. If you could skip forward a couple, I, I jumped on you, but I really, want you, I really want to say this one first. He says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, I'm pouring my life out for you guys, but it's not just for the sake of doing it. It's not because it's the right thing to do. It's so that I can have your sins forgiven. Forgiveness is the ultimate act of love that Jesus shows us. And forgiveness for me gets a little twisted sometimes because I think of forgiving someone. I'm like, yeah, we're good. Thanks. But forgiveness is different. Forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me anything. I had a friend once. I thought he was a friend. Turned into a toxic relationship, literally. To the point that I thought I was going to get hurt in this relationship. I cried while I was in this relationship. It was, it was destructive toward me. This person would ask me to do something. I would do it. They would ridicule me. I got an email once from this person and I held on to it. Because if the people who thought well of this person knew that, that this email existed, if they could just read this email, then... I could get my revenge. So I held on to it. Waiting for the right time, the right place to release this email to the right person. I might get that person's job. I might make them miserable. I, I had this over them. Because they had made my life miserable. And I remember a friend of mine at the time, he just said to me, hey man, you got to let it go. You got to, literally, he said, you got to delete it. And I deleted it because I wanted to have nothing over that person. He didn't owe me anything. The problem, I was, I was getting sick, visibly sick, emotionally sick, spiritually sick when I saw this person. It was eating me alive. I accidentally, randomly happened to be in a hospital and was in, a, in a, an elevator with this person. I felt like I was going to throw up. I knew this wasn't right. And I, through a series of events, I really felt like God was saying, you have to forgive this person. And I had to get to a place where that person owed me nothing. Does that make sense? I want to tell you another story really quickly of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been bloodied. There are people who are gambling over his clothing on the ground, the same people who have and are and will kill him, his mortal enemies. And Jesus offers this beautiful phrase to them. He says, Father... 
forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. My whole life I've grown up thinking, yeah, 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 Father, forgive them. And I think that sometimes because they're stupid and they don't know anything and they're on the wrong side of an issue, so Father, forgive them because they're wrong. And that is not what Jesus was saying. As he hung on the cross, Jesus was looking down on these men who were going to kill him, murderers. And he was thinking, Father, when you look at these men, I want you to see me. I want the blood that I am shedding right now in this moment to cover their sins. God, when you look at those men, would you see men who are blameless? Forgiveness is the way this happens. Here's what I want us to do. I really believe that God is going to bring some things up in our heart today as a, as a way of acting as a result of this truth. And I just asked this question, have you accepted God's forgiveness? That's not for anyone else to know the answer to, it's just for you. Have you accepted God's forgiveness? It says in, in scriptures, if we confess our sins to him, to the Father, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. I promise you this, you will not understand forgiveness ever as a human being until you embrace and accept God's forgiveness. Maybe this is what God's asking you to do today, is accept his forgiveness. Maybe he's going to bring to mind some things that he wants you to say, God, see that? I'm sorry, forgive me. That, that person that I was telling you about, that toxic relationship, one of the action steps was, I felt like God was telling me, and this didn't make any sense, that I needed to go apologize to that person. Scripture makes it super clear. Don't let the sun sit on your anger. I had been angry and bitter and hateful toward this person for years. And he deserved it, in my mind, but not in the economy of Jesus. So I went to meet with this person. I got some great counsel from friends. And I said, hey, can I apologize to you? I'm sorry. I've been angry with you. I should have dealt with it years ago, and I never did. He said, can you tell me what I did wrong? And I said, no, that's not what it's about. I just want you to know I'm sorry. And the question I would have for you, is there someone you've wronged that God's going to convict you? The Holy Spirit will convict you about someone that you've wronged, maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was this morning, maybe it was 10 years ago. There's God asking you to practice forgiveness with someone else. To practice asking for it. And then the last thing is this. Is there somebody you need to forgive? You're holding tightly to that thing that they did or that thing that they said. 
And are you willing to just let it go? And say, God, when you look at that person, will you see Jesus? Can we pray for that person? Can we release whatever it is? And folks, I get it. It's hard stuff. People have hurt you. People have hurt me. Can we practice the life of Jesus and forgive? Here's what I want to do. I'm going to give us just a few minutes to sit and, and to be in this. And there's three questions I'm going to ask, and they're going to be on the screen, and I'm going to be quiet. And I really feel like God is going to put a face, a name, a word in your heart that he's going to ask you to deal with. And those questions are this. Have you asked God for forgiveness? Would you say, this person, I need them to forgive me. I need to ask for forgiveness. And then the last is, do you need to forgive someone? Take a minute. Think about it. have a couple phrases in life that I have found very helpful. The first one is, what's God saying to you? It's a beautiful thing that the creator God of the universe is speaking to each and every one of us differently in this room, online, wherever we're watching this today. And he's saying something to us. And the question would be this, what's God saying to you? And the second question is, what are you going to do about it? When I say that, I mean the next 24 to 48 hours, because if you don't do it, then you probably won't do it. And I also believe that God can give us pretty clear steps, like, here's what I want you to do. And I know before, when I've felt like God is asking me to do something hard or to have a hard conversation, I need help. So there's a few things I want to offer as help for you guys. One, there's a class at Heartland that we've started. It started last week, but it's not too late to jump in. It's called the EHR course. It's on this Tuesday. It's helping you have healthy relationships. It's encouraging you and teaching you how to have hard conversations. Don't do it alone. There's a lot of great resources out there and a great community there. If you want to find out more, um, go to the website, go to the hub, and they'll help you get signed up for that class. The second thing would be this. Come forward and pray if you're in this room. I know it's weird. Everything's weird right now. 
But there's great people up here who want to pray for you in this moment, to pray with you about all of the things you're feeling and, and going through and encourage you. And so don't be too proud to be, to be prayed for. We want to do that. If you're online and you want to be prayed for, you can go through the chat settings and there's a Zoom room where someone will gladly pray with you and for you. And the last is this. Would you guys stand with me, please? I just want to give this as a benediction for all of us as we go out today. In the book of Ephesians, Paul, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says these words, and this is my prayer and my wish, not just for Heartland, but for me and for all of the church. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Amen. Have a great day.